Morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Welcome to the bicentennial edition of Bitcoin and it is the 200th episode of the program. It's the 17th of February, 2020, and it's 1.48 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. And I totally ducked out on giving you guys a show this morning, but um, I'm thinking of changing some stuff. And at the same time, I'm not going to be able to do a morning show tomorrow. You'll get this in a second, okay? Well, hold on. I know it's probably it's going to be a little confusing for a second. You will get a show tomorrow. It's this one. And by tomorrow, I mean you're listening to it today. Um, I got to take my wife to a couple of doctor's appointments. And I've been thinking seriously about changing um, sort of the release schedule of the show. Um, I kind of would like it to be available for the on the uh, East Coast of the United States by the time morning commutes happen. Because uh, like right now, the way that it's working out is that about the only time somebody can listen to this in the morning is by the time I get all it all said and done are the people that don't have to be at their jobs or offices until nine o'clock on the West Coast, you know, California, Oregon, you know, Washington State and whatnot. I'm thinking, OK, so I'm just going to get this is like the, you know, kind of an experiment of uh, having it where it auto releases at 6 a.m., Eastern Standard Time so that guys and, you know, guys and gals in New York can get a hold of it on their morning commute. And then if they can do it on their morning, can get it on their commuting uh, morning commute, then Chicago time, Mountain Time and West Coast time clearly are going to be able to, to have access to it for being able to listen to my ramblings in the morning, should they so choose. And because of this kind of thing and the fact that I got to take my wife to the doctor tomorrow, Uh, The format of today's show is going to be completely jacked, okay? So all I'm going to worry about doing right now is giving you guys the news you can use, brother. So let's just go ahead and start that shit out right now with the Daily Hodel staff writing for, obviously, the Daily Hodel. This was written today, uh, February the 17th. And of course, by today, I mean, well, yesterday. I don't know. God. This is going to be so confusing. (laughs) Ripple's biggest partner, MoneyGram, launches instant remittance product with Visa, Ripple, and XRP not included. The most high-profile user of Ripple's XRP remittance platform, MoneyGram, just launched a new instant settlement service that utilizes Visa's payment rails to move money. Users of FastSend, MoneyGram's real-time remittance product, can send money simply by providing the recipient's name and phone number. According to a press release, the services or the service leverages Visa Direct to facilitate, quote, the industry's fastest transaction times and the most seamless money transfer user experience, end quote. After the money is sent, 
Recipients get a text notifying that notifying them that they have available funds. Then they can log into the MoneyGram app and and add their debit card to instantly claim the money. Add their debit card, guys. What could possibly go wrong? Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, Jim, Mr. Kramer, I, I totally agree with you right there. FastSend charges a two dollar fee with a ten thousand dollar maximum per transaction. The service is currently available for transfers in the United States and remittances from the United States to Spain. The company plans to add more markets this year. Oh, isn't that just so sweet? Ripple has invested a total of $50 million in MoneyGram, which now leverages XRP to move 10% of its average daily volume between the United States and Mexico. I doubt that. According to MoneyGram CEO Alexander Holmes, Optimizing instant XRP remittances is one of the company's long-term key goals as Ripple, otherwise known as Hobo Wine, works to expand the product to more regions around the world. Quote, we're using Ripple's cryptocurrency for now, XRP, as a medium of exchange to move from dollars to pesos, and XRP sits in the middle. What the value of all that becomes longer term, I think is interesting. But what I will say is that to the extent that we can perfect a model, that we can truly facilitate instant flows of funds, instant money movement with the data and allow a customer in country A to get money into country B seamlessly and efficiently, I think it's what everyone is demanding, end quote. Holmes said the new product collaboration with Visa makes moving money as easy as sending a text message. He adds... FastSend builds on a success of our extremely popular mobile app and will further MoneyGram's leading position in the evolution of digital P2P payments, end quote. So, okay, so apparently, you know, MoneyGram is moving ahead for remittances between the United States and Spain without the use of hobo wine cryptocurrency. Spain. Wow. Gee, guys. Spain. I can send money to, to Spain. You know, there's so much to unpack here. It's just not even worth it though. A, two bucks to send $10,000 when just today I saw several transactions of multiple millions of dollars being made on the Bitcoin network for a buck. Multiple millions. And how many transactions are you allowed to send per day at $10,000 capped transaction? A cap. They they put a cap on the amount of money you can send. Guys, anybody who thinks that this is a good idea, it's just it's just a cage. They're just gonna keep you in a cage for as long as they possibly possibly can, and it's just an embarrassment to the whole damn space. All right, let's move on here. Brazilian cryptocurrency exchanges hit hard by tax regulations. This is Cointelegraph's Turner Wright. Um, <clears throat> the war's getting hot, people. Okay, and and here we go with some more hot war news. Legislators in Brazil have gotten support to regulate the crypto market following allegations of fraud at Atlas Quantum Zero Ten and Trader Group last year. And February saw some of the results of those actions. Bitcoin.com has reported that two major cryptocurrency exchanges based in the South American nation have been shut down following threats of heavy fines and the immediate effects of the regulations. 
Excesso Bitcoin was one of the exchanges to voluntarily close their doors. Co-founder Pedro Nunez was quoted by crypto news outlet Portal Do Bitcoin as saying, quote, after the Federal Revenue Service introduced these rules, we noticed a significant decrease in the traded volume. We also feel that the market has cooled off for smaller exchanges. Latoex or LATOX, I guess Latin American exchange. Another Brazil-based cryptocurrency exchange faces similar problems. The company is looking at a 100,000 Brazilian real fine if it does not comply with a suspension order issued by Brazil's Securities and Exchange Commission. Because Brazil does not have a dedicated law to deal with crypto at this time, all exchanges fall into the purview of normative instruction number 1,888. Issued by the Department of Federal Revenue, all companies carrying out crypto transactions in Brazil must report them or face fines ranging from 500 BRD to 1500 BRD or from 100 to uh, 120 to 360 United States dollars. Both houses of the National Congress of Brazil are looking at proposals to regulate the country's crypto industry. A special commission is analyzing and making revisions to such a motion, Bill 2303 and 2015. Meanwhile, the Senate is reviewing two other bills, 3825-2019 and 3949-2019. As of February 2020, no specific legislation has been enacted to establish regulations for the cryptocurrency market in Brazil. So when that happened, they had immediate, the immediate effect was two exchanges closed their doors. And we've been seeing exchanges shutter left and right, but most of them are all really small exchanges. Um, and they're, uh, that per Nunez was right. Smaller exchanges are getting squeezed out. And that's to be expected because there's nothing about exchanges that is even remotely decentralized, except um, there's a, oh God, there's a couple of them. There's at least one that is, says that they're decentralized. We shall see how that particular, you know, how that particular thing actually works. But for the most part, uh, we're going to see more and more of these small exchanges shutter their doors because the war's going hot. I reported that last Thursday. The war went hot last Thursday, and it's just going to accelerate now. So it, time is getting, uh, it's getting time to figure out what side of this shit you fall on. Uh, because it's not just Brazil, guys. Russian central banks link, or the Russian central bank links crypto transactions with money laundering. So Andrei Chernevko, sorry, Shevchenko, it's Shevchenko is his name, is writing for Cointelegraph. The central bank of Russia published a new set of rules for suspicious transactions. Russian finance publication RBC reported on February the 17th. The update broadly categorizes any cryptocurrency-linked transaction as a potential money laundering risk. The bank issued an update to Directive 375P, which lets all signs of suspicious activity that may be linked to money laundering. (laughs) This is the first such update since 2012 when the initial regulations were introduced. The manual was developed in collaboration with the Federal Service for Financial Monitoring, a central bank rep, 
explained that this was done to add new schemes of conducting unusual operations with consideration to the modern developments in financial markets. The head of the central bank had previously stated that the number of possible risk factors should be decreased. Like in other countries, if a bank or other financial service provider identifies certain transactions as suspicious, they may freeze the suspect's account or shut it down completely in severe cases. Though the list may have been consolidated, the regulators added a broad clause that considers any cryptocurrency-linked activity as a potential risk. Within the same framework, cash operations require several caveats to be considered as suspicious. For example, if a physical person regularly cashes out most of the money received from a legal entity. For cryptocurrencies, any activity that could be identified as buying or selling them will be considered a money laundering risk. This generally involves deposits and withdrawals from known exchanges. This move comes as Russian legislatures still continue making amendments to the digital financial asset law, which was proposed in early 2018. The regulator's stance toward cryptocurrency seems to have taken a turn for the worse recently as nationwide bans on their use of payment are being considered. War is going hot. So Russia, and this is even, this is even worse news than the Brazil news. Um, yeah, what, you know, what the hell you can do two things about it. You can fight or, you know, just cry about it, I guess. Yeah, I know. I, it's just, so, it's so sad, but uh, let, let's go back to, let, let's kind of like get our mind back to that whole thing with, um, the ripple and, and moving money across borders that that'll, $2 per $10,000 transaction. Yeah. Bittrex moves 500 million in Bitcoin for a buck. Tim Copeland writing for Decrypt.co. Crypto exchange Bittrex has just made two large Bitcoin transactions, moving coins from its main exchange to another wallet before sending them back to its original wallet. And it barely paid anything to do so. Earlier today, the exchange moved 48,900 BTC worth $491 million at the time, according to blockchain records, first pointed out by Whale Alert on Twitter. But despite these two huge transactions, the cost was minimal. The exchange paid 67 cents in fees for the first transaction and 84 cents for the second, a combined total of $1.51. It's likely the exchange was just reconfiguring its cold wallets where it stores the majority of its customers' Bitcoin offline. <clears throat> this isn't the first time the exchange has made such large Bitcoin transactions. In December, $9 billion of Bitcoin was moved in one hour, mostly due to a series of transactions that Bittrex made. In September, there was a huge consolidation of Bitcoin into one address. A collection of large-scale Bitcoin owners, known as whales, moved 94,504 Bitcoin worth over $1 billion to an unknown wallet. That's over half of 1% of all the coins in circulation. This was the same day that Futures Exchange backed launched its custody service, but it would not comment on the transaction. Currently, the price of Bitcoin has fallen back through the $10,000 mark, sitting at 9,955. But while the price may be down, at least the fees are too. Well, there's never really been a problem with fees. That's actually not. Not what actually ever occurred. Uh, you have to set your fees. A lot of the whole high fee thing that was going on, 
that was caused by really bad algorithms selecting fees in in the earlier uh, earlier generation wallets. This still occurs uh, to some extent, but more and more wallets have better algorithms for figuring out what fee to pay for a transaction. And most wallets at this point allow you to set your own fees. I always recommend one Satoshi per byte. No, it probably won't get in to the next block. Hell, it may even not even get into the next six blocks and you might have to wait over an hour for it. But at one Satoshi a byte, you're not paying damn near anything. It's only the idiots that allowed themselves to actually pay $700 Satoshis per byte on transactions because they weren't, they either didn't care or they weren't looking at the algorithm that uh, was setting the fee for their transactions in their wallet. You don't have to do that, people. You are not a slave to your damn wallet. 40 German banks apply to offer crypto custody services. That's right. First, they laugh at you. Then they fight over trying to custody your shit. Brave new coin. Let's see who's, oh, Alex Lelacher is writing sometime on the 16th of February. Over 40 German banks have applied for the new crypto custodian license necessary for the provision of professional custody services. A clear sign that German financial institutions want to be part of a growing crypto asset industry. The new license, oh, sorry, excuse me. More than 40 financial institutions have already applied for the new crypto custodian license, according to a report by the German newspaper Handelsblatt that cites the German regulator Bafin as a source. The new license will become a requirement to store digital assets on behalf of clients by November 2020. The ability for German banks to store crypto assets is a direct result of a new anti-money laundering law that Germany passed at the start of the year to comply with the AMLD5 or the EU's anti-money laundering directive number five. Quote, the previous business models that were too lax when identifying customers must be adjusted or discontinued, end quote. The German financial regulator told Handelsblatt, by creating a regulated environment for digital assets, products, and service providers, the regulator believes it will be able to entice legitimate crypto businesses to set up shop in Germany. Frank Schaffler, a member of parliament in Germany's Liberal Democrats, is excited about the high number of institutions that have applied to offer crypto custodianship. He told Handelsblatt, quote, The crypto asset market is growing faster than the Federal Ministry of Finance has predicted. It is both a blessing and a curse. The high demand for crypto custody licenses shows that companies are increasingly adopting blockchain technology, but is also the result of new legislation. German companies that are active in the digital asset ecosystem seems to be optimistic about the new crypto custody laws. Michael Offerman, managing director of blockchain factory at Berlin-based Solaris Bank, for example, told Handelsblatt, quote, we, are have, we have been dealing intensively with crypto custody for a year and a half. The new regulation and the new money laundering act is a good time to start. Digital assets will fundamentally change the financial markets. As soon as the purchase and custody of Bitcoin becomes easier, we expect to see strong growth, he added. Martin Kassing, founder of C- and CEO of Upvest, a Berlin-based startup that focuses on real estate asset tokenization, told Brave New Coin, quote, We welcome the new crypto custody license requirements in Germany as the respective regulatory certainty will make the country a winner in global blockchain adoption. Oh, my God. Berlin is already a strong tech hub that is further strengthened by this development, end quote. Quote, 
Secure and scalable custody is the prerequisite for distributing volume on chain. Thanks to the new custody offerings, we will also see the first digital asset exchanges in Germany. As one of the leading providers of digital asset custody and tooling, Upvest benefits from the increased international attention, he added. Germany is doing a lot of things right when it comes to embracing blockchain technology and crypto assets. It is therefore no surprise that Berlin is emerging as one of Europe's leading blockchain hubs. Stop it with the blockchain or I'm going to laser sword your ass. Yeah, be careful. I'm getting, I'm getting a little pissed off here about this kind of thing. The whole blockchain word just needs to die. Okay. It's just, it's just no. Absolutely not. Bitcoinist Martin Young is writing on the 16th of February. U.S. household debt hits record level. Is Bitcoin the solution? I don't know. Let's find out there, Martin. Reports indicate that the level of household debt in the United States has reached a record high of over $14 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Dollar devaluation and a flawed banking system have been the catalyst, but can Bitcoin be the solution? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. According to the Federal Reserve's quarterly report on household debt and credit, total U.S. household debt reached a record of $14.15 trillion at the end of the year. This follows an increase of $193 billion, or 1.4%, in the fourth quarter of 2019. The report noted that total household debt is now nominally $1.5 trillion higher than the pre-recession peak of $12.68 trillion in the th third quarter of 2008. It has been the 22nd consecutive quarterly increase in household debt, which has been led by mortgage balances. Housing balances rose $120 billion over the quarter, while non-housing balances soared $79 billion in the fourth quarter to hit a record $4.2 trillion. Student loans, auto loans, and credit card balances make up the bulk of this frightening statistic. A senior vice president at the New York Fed, Wilbert Vanderklaw, Vanderklaw, yes, Vanderklaw, that is a cool-ass name, man. I, I, dude, that, I'm sorry, that's a cool-ass name, if Vanderklaw, it just is, noted that the data showed that transa transitions into delinquency among credit card borrowers have steadily, steadily risen since 2016, notably among younger borrowers. That's probably because in college you were inundated with credit card offers. Stop it. Goldbug and Bitcoin detractor Peter Schiff blamed a weakening economy for the increase, which is contrary to what the president has been claiming about the financial state of things in the country. Quote, if the economy really was strong households, hmm, uh, whatever, if the economy really was strong, households would have the added incomes to pay down their debts. Instead, a weak economy has forced more families to go even deeper into debt to survive. There we go. Not now I can speak again. Banks are yet again at the center of the crisis as interest rates plunge into negative territory and the central bank continues to bail them out with its ongoing repurchase agreements. This hasn't stopped President Trump granting them huge tax breaks, enriching the billionaire bankers at the top while the average U.S. household is plunged deeper into debt. 
a devaluation of the dollar results in weaker purchasing power and a propensity to borrow more money. Plunging interest rates also discourage people from holding any savings. This happens in a society where consumerism rules and citizens are encouraged to overspend in order to keep the economy afloat and further enrich those at the top of it. It all points to one thing, and that is safe haven assets, assets such as Bitcoin and gold, both of which have been rallying strong this year as economic clouds darken. Ethereum can now be considered a store of value as it cements its position as the foundation of an embryonic decentralized finance system. Josie, the stupidity. That's right, Dan Pena. Thank you for that comment. Yeah, uh, to end this entire, the Bitcoinist, why the hell did you, why did you end it with this, this sentence? Ethereum, all that now, you just plug in Ethereum can now be considered a store of value as it cements its position as the foundation of an embryonic decentralized finance ecosystem. What utter and complete crap that is. I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away that they just inserted that. Must be a bag holder. Martin, get rid of your bags. Okay, here we go. Here we go, guys. Are you ready? You ready? We got some Alex Jones on the horizon. Uh, Calm down there, little kitty. Calm down there. American radio star, host of the InfoWars, and far-right conspiracy theorist Alex Jones met with pro-Bitcoin champion Max Kaiser. He admits, quote, you're right. I should have gotten involved in Bitcoin a long time ago. Wow. Wow. Because I'm telling you, man, I used to listen to Alex Jones a lot. I stopped because the man, he will wake you up out of your slumber, but he's got zero answers. Unless you want to buy, you know, colloidal silver and a whole host of other types of, you know, vitamins and, and other health things that you ingest. Uh, but he hated Bitcoin because he swore to God that it was a Bilderberg thing or whatever, Bunchenberger. I don't know, man. It's It was a conspiracy to get us into a cashless state. But all the time I knew with or without Bitcoin, shit was going cashless and there wasn't a damn thing you could do about it. Uh, it it's just going to happen. But he was convinced that Bitcoin was done simply to accelerate that situation. And now, well, here we are. It's going to be, that's going to be big fun for Peter Schiff, I guess. In a must-see video discussion between Alex Jones and Max Kaiser, the two men talk a lot about Bitcoin. Jones says he likes how Bitcoin brings diversity to the marketplace. He points to how BTC can never be shut down unlike money in an offshore bank account. Kaiser is visibly in his element. I'll bet. Jones explains to his listeners that he hadn't previously endorsed Bitcoin because he wasn't completely sure. He says he would never tell them to go out and buy something he wasn't sure about. However, on reflection, quote, it's smart to diversify. He then tells Kaiser, quote, you're right. I should have gotten involved in Bitcoin a long time ago. He continues to justify his concerns over Bitcoin since following it for the last 10 years. <clears throat> the space seemed to be full of crap coins, but now all the scams and fly-by-nighters seem to have left. <laughs> no, no, they have it. 
Kaiser clarifies that there are still plenty of scammers in the space, including Bcash and Craig Wright. However, anything other than Bitcoin is fool's gold. Alex noted, noted how he's seeing the big money going in and key figures like Twitter's Jack Dorsey, quote, they clearly think it's going to be a powerful force. He then says the markets appear to be stabilizing. Again, I'm laughing my ass off. No, it's not stabilizing. It's okay, though. It's not going to kill you. It's just not, don't lie. It ain't stabilizing. Not, not yet, anyway. He asked what the best way to get involved in Bitcoin is. Kaiser said he would take a three-pronged approach, starting by stacking sats daily for $1 through Cash App to build your position. You should then download a Bitcoin wallet, and if you want to become a serious player, he recommends signing up for an account with Kraken. Ugh. He also says that it's not too late to get into crypto. Jones may have missed out on buying Bitcoin at $1, $100, and $1,000, but even at $10,000, he will still make a 40x return since Kaiser says Bitcoin will be worth $400,000 in the coming years. Jones notes that he likes how you can tailor your approach to buying Bitcoin. He calls it a completely legitimate way of diversifying your wealth. Kaiser confirms that no one can confiscate your Bitcoin. He calls it gold 2.0 and says that unlike gold, you don't need any third party to verify that it is real, just the blockchain. That must be what ruffled Schiff's feathers the most. Oh, of course, here, here comes Schiff. I know, Schiff, it's okay. Outwardly annoyed by Jones's capitulation, Peter Schiff takes to Twitter to condemn the show. He can't believe that after 10 years of watching the bubble inflate, Jones thinks that now is the right time to urge his listeners to buy Bitcoin. And of course, here's the Peter Schiff tweet. Alex Jones has capitulated. After 10 years of watching the Bitcoin bubble inflate at $10,000 per coin, he thinks now's the time to urge his listeners to buy. This is how manias end. Greed overwhelms reason as people, once too sensible to buy, join the party just as it's ending. To be fair, Jones never actually comes out and urges his listeners to buy. However, he has certainly convinced himself and we hear him audibly pivoting to BTC on air. He also goes somewhat mental <laughs> with an air gun while Kaiser starts to talk about his rebirth as a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> He goes somewhat mental with an air gun. Oh, I got to watch this episode. This may be worth it. I haven't seen this thing in years, but this one may be worth it. He also explains the enigma of his missing tweets. He actually has a new Twitter handle, Real Max Kaiser, in which he only talks about Bitcoin. Nice. Let's see. He's got a, the at Real Max Kaiser account tweeted out on February the 15th, the following, back in 2011 when Bitcoin was a buck. Kaiser reports told our global audience Bitcoin is the currency of resistance, the new better gold. It's going to 100,000. It's the best way to fight fiat money, corrupt bankers. Everyone should buy Bitcoin. Okay, so, well, whatever. He says that he abandoned the old account because he used to talk about other things, but now he only wants to talk about Bitcoin. This is going to be interesting. He says, quote, I am a purist. I am a maximalist. Jones simply lets him speak, agreeing here and there and at times trying to get Kaiser to talk about something else. The conversation covers quantitative easing politics, the coronavirus, catastrophe, and toothpaste. Really? Toothpaste? 
No way, dude. Toothpaste is a... It's a Ruski conspiracy to fuck up the American economy and I'm, the world. I know. Dan, you're totally right. Toothpaste is freaking evil, but the main protagonist was Bitcoin. And a lot of people are jumping up and down, either from excitement or rage. <laughs> so so if, you, if you guys don't know, um, Peter Schiff was pretty much... Well, he wasn't always on Alex Jones, but he came on quite a bit to talk about gold because when he was coming on, Alex was firmly planted in the belief that it was only gold was the safe haven as asset. You know, fiat money sucked and we all know that and everything like bonds sucked and like, you know, like everything was like overpriced in the stock market and gold was it, bro. Gold. If you wanted to be a dude, bro, you had gold. Well, now he's changing his mind. So my expectation over the next couple of years, uh, unless Jones turns back and, and goes in the opposite direction, is that Peter Schiff will probably never go back on the Alex Jones show again. But I, I think it's kind of odd. I was wondering if, if Alex Jones was going to turn around. And apparently he has. My problem with that is that he was such a staunch believer in the fact that in, in his stance that Bitcoin was some kind of Bilderberg conspiracy and Illuminati plot to destroy the world's financial system the rest of the way, that it does seem a little odd that he's turned, uh, turned into, a I don't know, a dog of different spots or whatever you want to uh, call it. But if we get nothing else out of this, at least, at least Peter Schiff is, is annoyed, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, Peter, how about that gold? Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, that's what I thought. <clears throat> okay, so uh, crypto exchange Fcoin is insolvent. Yep, yeah. Another one is eating a dick. February the 17th, 2020, we got Coindesk's Wolfie Zhao writing. Fcoin, a crypto exchange that adopted the controversial trans fee mining model, has paused trading and withdrawal as it reveals a shortage of crypto assets worth up to $130 million. So, yeah, um, dude. Josie, the stupidity. Zhang Jian, the former Huobi CTO who launched Fcoin, in May of 2018, wrote a lengthy post on Monday saying the exchange is now unable to process users' withdrawal demands as its asset reserve has fallen short of its liability, and the gap is estimated to be, Jesus, 7,000 to 13,000 Bitcoin. Whoa, dude. The post, <clears throat> sorry, the post first published in Chinese and later translated on Reddit comes as a shocking notice. I'm shocked, shocked, shocked that they're insolvent. Notice to users in China is a significant amount of assets in question led to the insolvency of the controversial model that at one point made Fcoin one of the largest exchanges by trading volume. Zhang, or Zhang, claimed in the post that the exchange was neither hacked nor an exit scam, but the problem is a little too complicated to be explained in a single sentence. Yeah, I'll bet. In summary, he said the issue came from internal system errors that have, for a long period of time, credited users with more transaction-based mining rewards than they should have received. As the company failed to spot this soon enough to remedy the situation, the snowball has grown even larger since the beginning of 2019. Fcoin went live around May 2018, introducing a novel model called TransFee Mining to incentivize trading and to issue its exchange token dubbed FT. Yeah, it's just another shitcoin. 
Instead of launching an initial coin offering or an airdrop, Fcoin issued 51% of its FTs to the public in exchange for making transactions. For instance, for every transaction fee a user paid to Fcoin in the form of either Bitcoin or Ethereum, the platform would reimburse the user 100% of the value in FTs. In addition, Fcoin would distribute 80% of the transaction fees it collected in Bitcoin and Ether to users who held FTs Bitcoin continuously throughout a day. This model, while being criticized for possibly enabling price manipulation of the FT, was quickly adopted by others and led to a shakeup among exchanges in terms of volume ranking. However, according to Zhang, errors in Fcoin's system started to give away more mining rewards to users than they should have earned beginning in the middle of 2018. The firm did not set up a complete back-end auditing system to properly manage its treasury until a year later, he said. Oh, dude. As the price of FT continuously decreased through 2019, Zhang said he and his team have been buying back FTs from the secondary market in efforts to increase the buying demand for the token's price, which was one of the decision errors he made. Zhang said the system pro- the system problem coped with these decision errors gave a large amount of users the opportunity to sell and withdraw more than what should have been be- that than what should have been on their account balance, causing the significant loss of Fcoin's assets on its own balance sheet. The announcement came just days F- after just days after Fcoin suspended its entire platform after discovering a risk control issue. Zhang said in the post that he will now personally and manually process users' withdrawal requests made via emails. He claimed that he will switch tracks and start again and hopes to use the profits from his new projects to compensate everyone for their losses. Are you friggin' kidding me? Dude, I mean, to watch Fcoin go this way... I mean, it's not that, you know, something like this is completely unexpected, but dude, this is just like... This is misfeasance at its best description of the word. My heavens almighty, my God. Okay, getting into ETH. Let's let's do some ETH. Coindesk.com, William Foxley. Foxley is writing on on February 15th that exploit during ETH Denver reveals experimental nature of decentralized finance. So DeFi in the crosshairs. DeFi project BZX has suffered an attack in which a hacker successfully gamed multiple DeFi protocols to extract $350,000 from the platform, about 2% of the assets under management. In response, the company took down its lending and trading protocol Fulcrum at 7 o'clock UTC. The company was presenting at ETH Denver during the hack. The hackers took advantage of the company's pricing oracle to trick the protocol into giving up the cash. BZX depended on only one oracle for pricing, according to sources. The firm, which has yet to reappear at ETH Denver, later confirmed in a tweet it will compensate lenders for potential losses. The attack could be symptomatic of a continuing issue in DeFi, said Chainlink CEO Sergey Nazarov at the event, how to source price information. 
The attack was even more notable because of its timing as the team had to deal with a hack during the Ethereum community's ETH Denver hackathon, which largely focuses on DeFi. I wonder if it came from the exact same room. That that would be interesting. Nazarov said the sourcing of price data from one Oracle remains problematic and one DeFi team are still working it out. <clears throat> Although its relation to this issue has yet to be firmly established, he added, Quote, you can't rely on only one Oracle connected with an exchange API, he said. Staked CEO Tim Ogilvy, which operates a working relationship with BZX, BZX, said the loss amounts to an expensive bug bounty and highlights the novelty of flash loans, a new DeFi feature which allows traders to borrow and return funds in short windows the hackers leveraged for the attack. According to Ogilvy, the attacker borrowed 10,000 ETH worth approximately 2.6 million in a flash loan. The attacker then split the borrowed funds, sending 5,000 ETH to DeFi protocol compound and the other half to BZX. After the deposits, the attacker shorted warped bit or sorry, sorry, the attacker shorted wrapped Bitcoin on BZX, quickly followed by borrowing 112 wrapped Bitcoin on compound worth about $1.1 million and selling the borrowed wrapped BTC on Uniswap, another DeFi market, said Ogilvy. Ogilvy said, which the firm denied on Twitter that BZX users Uniswap's price feed for WBTC. When the attacker dropped the 1.1 million worth of wrapped BTC on Uniswap, their BZX short became became extremely profitable, said Ogilvy. Quote, the question for DeFi is what's safe? How do you create a safe and secure set of price oracles that actually do things? People use different approaches and you can choose the wrong way, Ogilvy said. There are big risks. It's a new category. It's moving fast. And that means some things are going to break. (laughs) Poor Ogilvy. The eighth largest DeFi market, according to DeFi Pulse, 16% of funds locked in BZX have been withdrawn from the protocol in the last 24 hours. God, what is what does it take for people to learn at this point? What do you what has to happen? Do you literally have to stand in front of a of a moving train and get run the hell over to figure this out? We've been screaming about this kind of crap for a long time. We knew this was going to happen. Not just to, I mean, I'm not even talking about just DeFi, guys. That's that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about crap coinery in general. It's going to get you screwed. And the more crap coins pile on new lights, whistles, and bells, all that is, you're allowing entrances for people to game the system. Every door you open, or actually every portal you build is a potential new avenue to game a system. That's why it's important to understand the theories of, of the, or the, or game theory, just not even like the nuances of game theory. What does the phrase game theory mean? You can look at it at the top, at the most extreme top level without having to dive deep down into it to understand that the more entrances you allow are the more doors you set up for people to come in and game your system. And DeFi is one of the worst. I'm, I'm just telling you, 
expect expect more of this, okay? Just expect it. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, oh, no, sorry, that was just, <clears throat> that, that was something that got into my feed that I didn't need. Cryptoslate.com's Priyeshu Garg is writing sometime, God knows where, oh, February the 15th. More backed futures contracts are settled in Bitcoin than in cash. According to the latest data from SKU, the volume of backs physically settled futures exceeds the volume of its cash settled product. With an average daily volume of $14 million in the past month, more traders seem to be attracted to futures contracts that are settled in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's strong start to 2020 has pushed more institutional traders to position themselves awaiting for the coin's rise. Bitcoin closed out its best January in the past seven years in 2020, pushing its institutional volumes up with it. Earlier this month, the backed physically settled contract saw a new record of $11.6 million in open interest, up 114% in a week. The increase was believed to reflect an influx of new buyers coming into the market, which was expected to extend Bitcoin's uptrend. And now the latest data shows that the rise backs volume has seen in January 2020 has been modest by this month's standards. According to BackedBot, the total open interest on Backed's Bitcoin futures now stands at around $17.8 million U.S., the growing open interest on BACS Bitcoin futures is mirrored in the growth of its volumes. Data from SKU has shown that more backed contracts are being settled with physical Bitcoin than in cash. According to SKU, BACS cash settled Bitcoin futures saw an average volume of around 11 million last month, while the physically settled contract recorded an average volume of 14 million at the same time. The growing number of institutional traders cho- choosing to settle their contracts in Bitcoin presents a bullish case for the cryptocurrency. Arcane Research's January report noted that its data has shown there is a growing appetite among institutional investors for Bitcoin. Arcane Research reported that the 230 backed Bitcoin futures contracts that went into delivery on January the 17th represented over $2 million in notional value. The company only delivered 15, 17, and 8 contracts in October, November, and December of last year. That means that the physical delivery of Bitcoin futures contracts increased by 1,625% from their 2019 average of 13.3 BTC, Arcane Research published in a report. So yeah, man, dude, from 13.3 BTC in December of 2019, that was like, you know, the month before last, to 230 BTC as of January 20th. That's a month. That's a month. From December 2019 to January of 2020. From 13.3 BTC to 2030 BTC. Sorry, I don't mean to sound like I'm just like trying to chew this into my head, but I'm trying to get this into my head. Just what that represents, that's huge. And like, and it's good news that people would rather have the physically settled Bitcoin than cash. I mean, wouldn't us all. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> so that's what I got for the morning roundup. Let me see what I can do for the rest of the show in the time that I have remaining this afternoon. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's do a morning train or a God morning. I, this is so screwed up. I'm so sorry, guys. Let's do the daily train wreck. This is from uh, uh, February the 13th, so a few days ago. But Mark DeKoenig uh, apparently had some problems during a uh, uh, we had a dip in in cryptocurrencies across the board at about I don't know. He's writing at about eight o'clock in the morning, so I'm guessing it happened earlier uh, earlier that day. I don't know. In either event, he writes, WTF, man, screw you, BitMEX. This is really not okay. My stop didn't trigger and my entire BitMEX account is effing gone. Well, not, not quite a train wrecked sound. Like I said, I'm trying new things, man. I got to experiment, bruh. I mean, I... If you're not experimenting, you're just stagnating, right? So might as well. Can you imagine having lost like everything because you're trading options? <laughs> this is why I don't trade. I I would not be good at it. And I would end up like this poor dude. God, I just. But again, the lesson becomes, you know, more self-evident in things like this. Don't trade. Look, I, you know, if, if you're listening and you're a trader and you know what you're doing and you don't have problems, hey, by all means, you know, go ahead, do it. You know, because clearly you're not screwing up like poor Mark here, but Mark, dude, got liquidated out the wazoo. And uh, God, you know, it's just, it's sad to to watch this whole thing play out like this. But you, I, I can't help it. I, I, I have to send up the warning flares. Don't trade or this kind of thing is going to happen to you. Just don't do it. All right, let's see if I get you a joke here. Dad says jokes. The judge, I order you to pay $10,000. Mario, why? Judge, it's a fine. Mario, no, it's a not. <laughs> get it? <laughs> Yeah, that's terrible. Okay, so this is obviously a very short show. Again, I'm experimenting a little bit, but hey, you got the news. You got a train wreck. You got a joke. 80% of the show is there. All right. So yeah, sorry, I didn't put in a song, you know, or do any of the other stuff. But again, experimentation is tricky. Uh, using a brand new digital audio workstation, uh, some, you know, different things are coming in. It's going to be, it's going to take a while. Plus the fact that I really want this to be available in the mornings on the East coast. And honestly, I think the only way I can do that is to just set it to fire off at like where it's available. The, the, the podcast is available at a certain time in the morning and then record the whole damn thing the day before. I don't know if it's going to work. And if it does work, I don't know if it's going to work well. Um, I'm trusting that you guys won't bite my head off too severely, but I also trust that, you know, give me feedback. Let me know. I mean, don't judge, don't judge me by this particular show because it's short. I'm trying to figure this one out. I wasn't able to put one out this morning cause I had family in and tomorrow morning is going to be just as sucky because I got to take my wife to a couple of doctors and the whole thing is just kind of, it's, it's throwing me completely off kilter. Okay. So be gentle, but also be, be truthful. 
Um, and if you do have, you know, if you do have problems, like, I don't like this, dude. I was like, I, you know, I don't like the fact that you want to do it the day before and release it the next morning. If you have a major problem with that, let me know. And I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I mean, that's the beauty of the, of the human brain is being able to figure out, uh, how to get out of how you screwed up. (laughs) Unless you're Mark and lose your entire BitMEX account because your stop didn't trigger. (laughs) Okay. Last thing I am going to say is about that. Just because you have stops and fills and all this crap programmed does not mean that it's going to execute. It should, but you're depending on a third party's computer system to, to faithfully execute that code. And as always, you should ask yourself, will it? And what are you going to do if it doesn't? I mean, what, what's your plan B? My plan B is to not trade and to stack sats. I'll see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.